by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. My goodness. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to get into the Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of you know that as the love chapter. The love chapter. Verse 13 says, When I was a child, I spoke and I thought and reasoned as a child. Well, that makes sense because I was a child. (laughs) But when I grew up, I put away childish things. It wouldn't make sense if I was still speaking and thinking and reasoning as a child now that I'm an adult, right? Should have grown up. Tonight's message is entitled, The Adult in the Room. We've been on this series called Bigger on the Inside. If you haven't been here, it's uh, aimed at helping us to, to have the capacity to believe more, to do more, to see more, to to respond better in our life and to do the things that God had called us to do. And and to do that, we need to expand on the inside, on who we are. And uh, tonight, instead of talking about another thing that we can do to get bigger on this inside, we're going to talk about a result of growing bigger on the inside. We're going to encourage ourselves on what we're shooting for. What is a a result when you grow bigger on the inside You display a bigger person on the outside. Would you agree with that? Because what you are on the inside is ultimately going to be displayed on the outside. Uh, I think about King David. He was a man after God's own heart. He was the young kid that uh, slew Goliath and he was killed his ten thousands of, of the enemy and he was a great warrior and He did great things for the nation of Israel. He was king for 40 years, uh, seven years in Judah, and then 33 years over Judah and Israel together. He was king, and he brought peace to the land for the most part. They were prosperous. God blessed him. God loved David. David was, he was the one who wrote most of the Psalms. That Psalm 51 that he just mentioned, created me a clean heart, O God. Uh, That was David wrote that at a time of repentance in his life after Bathsheba. But uh, that's beside the point. But as David is, is coming to the end of his rule, and he's getting to be an old man now, uh, he's, he's fought his battles, and, you know, and he should be getting ready for retirement. Like most of us wish we could retire in style. He's the king. Why couldn't he retire in style? You know? But all of a sudden, one of his many children, Absalom, rises up against his own dad, this spoiled little brat. Daddy done took care of Absalom, loved Absalom, gave him everything he wants. And you know how that, that sometimes turns out. <laughs> the kids begin to expect that, and pretty soon it's not enough for him, and Absalom wants the kingdom now. I don't know, maybe David would have gave Absalom the kingdom eventually if he had acted right. 
But Absalom started undermining his father in, the, uh, in Israel. And before you know it, he's uh, got a whole bunch of David's loyal followers to leave David and come follow him. And David finds out that his uh, son Absalom is going to try to overthrow. He's got a coup formed against David, and uh, David finds out about it. So he's got to get out of Jerusalem before Absalom gets there because he knows Absalom's got more on his side than David does. Can you imagine how David feels? He's leaving Jerusalem, his, you know, where his kingdom resides, and he's being forced out by his own child after all the good he's done and the people that he had, were once loyal to him and that he did so much for, they're, they have sided with his son against him. Had to be kind of rough. I imagine David's walking with his head down, you know, leaving the Jerusalem. But he's got, you know, some of his commanders that are still with him, some loyal people, and he's, he's got a lot of people still with him, so he's trying to bear under the load. And he's walking, and all of a sudden, He's walking along this kind of, you know, in the valley, and, and up on the hill, some dude starts throwing rocks at him. And it says in 2 Samuel 16, verse 6, this guy's throwing stones at the king and his officers and all the mighty warriors who have surrounded David. Get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. The Lord's paying you back for all the bloodshed of Saul's clan. Well, he's misinformed right there because my Bible tells me that David did all he could to help Saul's family. He took old Mephibosheth from Lodibar, you remember him, the cripple, and let him eat at his table. David had not done Saul's, Saul, David loved Saul despite Saul trying to kill him all the time. So he's, he's shouting a bunch of nonsense. He said, the Lord's paying you back for all the bloodshed in Saul's clan. You stole his throne, and now the Lord has given it to your son Absalom. Ha, 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 ha. At last you will taste some of your own medicine, for you are a murderer. Man, I can just, I can almost feel the heat rising up in David right now. He going to say that to me on today? You know what David did? I'll tell you in a little while. But we got to get into our message. I started to call this message, Be the Bigger Person. But then I got to thinking, that would kind of be like being, wanting to be bigger than somebody, being better than somebody, and that really isn't what we're getting at here at all. Philippians 2, verse 3 says, Think of others better than yourself. So being the bigger person isn't really the way to describe what I was trying to get at. So when, when I said be the adult in the room, it kind of has the same connotations but being an adult just implies more maturity, not that you're better or bigger than someone else, right? <laughs> it's funny. As we sat here in prayer last night, I didn't know what I was going to preach. Yesterday, I just worshipped. I just felt like I needed to personally break through and get into the throne room. And my mind was going with 100 different projects, men's group, praise and worship. All these things are going through my carnal mind, you know, and it was just hard for me to break through into worship. And I kept saying, God, I'm trying to, but every time I try to pray, I start thinking about, oh, we got to change that, you know, or, or this speaker here is, you know, a little rattling or, it, you know, just carnal things was making it hard. And so I had a choice. Was I just going to give into the carnal flesh and go ahead and start working on some sermon? I said, no, I'm not going to force anything. I'm going to be patient, but I'm going to do first things first. If I, as the pastor, can't get in the presence of God and, and worship him, 
and get my heart right. I certainly don't need to be up here preaching. So I spent like six hours yesterday worshiping before prayer. So I think this room has been baked in prayer. I believe the presence of the God of God is in this place. But as me and Angie were sitting here at the end of the, the circle that we had for prayer, the Lord, I felt like he spoke to me. and He said, I want you to uh, talk about being the bigger person or, or being the adult in the room or whatever and uh, be more mature. You know, that's the result of being bigger on the inside. So I wrote that down in my little folder and I took it back there. And then Angie left and we had stuff going on afterwards, the worship practice. I went home and then this morning, I said, Angie, can, can you think of any examples? Because I like to tell stories, you know me. Can you think of any examples where I acted mature? And she goes, not really. <laughs> I said, I can't either. I, she said, why do you ask? I, I said, because, um, you know, I'm, the Lord told me to preach on, you know, being the adult in the room. And she said, you're kidding me. <laughs> he asked you to <laughs> No, she didn't say that. And so she said, you're not going to believe this, but yesterday I typed you about a two-page email on that subject. I said, yesterday? She said, yeah, I just hadn't sent it to you yet because I, I was going to post it on Facebook and I wanted to see what you thought about it, but maybe it wasn't for Facebook. And I said, send it to me. So this is what I'm going to you know, I had to cut it down because she's wordy, but... Um, <coughs> But this is what she was going to post, and she wanted me to see it. And, and it just shows you how God is on the same page, that the Holy Spirit is working in all this. Angie wrote this. A few years ago, when my daughter Kaylee, who it's her birthday today, she's 21. <laughs> a few years ago, when my daughter Kaylee was maybe 16 or 17, she wanted to go to a party, and we wouldn't let her. I cannot remember all the details now, but I do remember I honestly felt bad for her. I felt her pain. I remembered feeling the exact same way at her age and even remembered the same conversations with my parents. Her feelings were legitimate and they were very real to her. And I could completely understand why she felt like she did. You know, it's hard to tell your kid no to something, a teenage thing, and everybody else is getting to do it or something. She said, but I also experienced many other things since I was a teenager. I've also seen many other things that show me why I could not, in good conscience, allow her to go where she wanted to go. Even though I understood her side of it, being the adult and the parent, I knew the bigger picture. And I knew there's more to the story than what she was feeling at the moment. So I had to be the adult and teach her the right thing, knowing that no matter what I said at that moment, she'd be upset and not understand my point. You know, teenagers. But later, she would. Someone must be the leader, the adult, the parent, and lead the younger, less experienced. What's my point? If you're talking about football games or elections, they're winners and losers. If your team or person doesn't win, you're upset. You may feel like it's wrong. The ref made a bad call. It wasn't fair. And maybe it wasn't. But when the game is over, it's over. There's a winner and there is a loser, and there should be a leader, someone who stands up and encourages all on their side to accept the result because that's the way the game works, to do the right thing because they see 
the bigger picture. That's what leaders should do. Whether it's the coach, the quarterback, the senators, the congressman, this is our process. The same process that got them elected. Someone has to step up and be the adult, the parent, the leader. It's not always fun or easy, but it's the right thing to do. When our leaders fail to do this, we're dividing our own team and only hurting ourselves, our, ho <clears throat> our home, and our country. Now, I, I believe her point was about political things going on in the world right now. <clears throat> and I will say along those lines that in Romans 13.1, it says that everyone must submit to the governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in position of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. <clears throat> Christians are clearly told to pray for their leaders, even the ones we don't agree with. So you might say, well, why are you bringing this up now? Why didn't you, did, were you praying for Obama, or are you praying for Trump, or why you, you know, we should pray for both. If there's one you don't agree with, you should pray harder. Not that they get kicked out, but that God would deal with their heart and they would do what's right. All authority is given by God, the Bible says. And to be honest, we get what we deserve here in America because we voted for them. And if our moral climate in America uh, can't pick a good leader, then it just shows where we are as a society. But Christians, I'm talking about Christians now, we don't expect the world to do the right thing. But Christians should pray for our leaders. And I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't fight for what they believe, for their causes, for their issues, stand up for, for our beliefs. But in doing so, we got to be careful to be the adults in the room, not the whine and cry babies and join in and act like the world does. We need to act differently. And it's not, doesn't matter what their politics are, what their religion, their nationality, their race, I mean, their race, the race, <clears throat> it doesn't matter if they're acting right, whether they're hate, uh, hateful or helpful or whatever they are. We need to be the adults in the room. Can, you, can I get an amen on that? Because you know what? I don't care how bad you disagree with somebody. They are people. They're a person. They're a person that Jesus loves. He cared for enough to die for. I don't care if this is another religion, that they hate him, if they, if they speak bad about Jesus, and they hurt our feelings or whatever, but we have to be the adult in the situation. Our first responsibility as Christians is to love. We talked about, was it this Sunday, about two reasons we're here. Uh, one is to get saved, obviously, and the second one is to go tell people about Jesus so they can get saved. The Great Commission and the Great Commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and then to love your neighbors yourself, and then to uh, go and make disciples. And so we, we have to see beyond the color of somebody's skin, their nationality, their beliefs, even if they're murderers. I mean, we go down to the prison. We don't know who we're ministering to, but we know that there's people down there that have done some horrendous things. But the love of God compels us to love them where they're at, because you know what? Sinners do sinful things. People, until they meet Jesus, we could have been 
the same, we could be the same place that they're at right now without Jesus. That's the only difference. Oh, how I need you, God. Uh, one guy on the internet named Mike Duran, I found some comments he made. He said, today Christians are too easily offended. Well, we think the world is offended easily. But Christians can be really offended. Your language offends me. Like, we're too precious. You know, we used to, be, we used to make up some of them words <laughs> in the day, you know. But now we, can, we hear one, it's like, it's making me melt, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like our, our, our spirit, the Holy Spirit is so precious that he can't stand to hear, you know, a cuss word. Well, he's down in there with them in the trenches every day. He knows what they're saying. It's not surprising him. And we're not so tender that we can't get down in there and love somebody. Your appearance offends me. Your politics offend me. Your bad habits offend me. Boy, we're easily offended. Your affiliations offend me. Your taste and art offends me. <laughs> it just goes on and on, his list of things that Christians are offended about. Look, we need to toughen up. If we're going to reach those people, we've got to be tougher than that. This reminds me of the story in Luke 9 where James and John uh, were sent into Samaria to make a path for Jesus to come through town or whatever, and they, they didn't want Jesus there. And they came back with that message, and they said, Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? <laughs> you know, because they didn't agree with their, their beliefs or their politics, and Jews and, and the Samaritans, you know, had this cultural war going on like a race issue or something, you know, back in those days. And they just want to do away with the people that don't believe like they do. And, you know, you know, Christians can say some wild stuff, too, if we don't watch what comes out of our mouth. We just need to nuke them all, you know. Do you really mean that? Yeah, I hope not. That would make you really horrendous because, you know, murder starts in the heart. <clears throat> and I'm, I, I can be guilty of getting mad and saying some stuff myself, so I'm not up here... I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> but you know what Jesus did? He turned and rebuked them. He said, you don't, mean, you don't even know what spirit you're, you're following here. What are you talking about? Are you not learning anything walking with me? Jesus turned and rebuked them because they had lost sight of their bigger purpose. Jesus wants us to focus on the bigger purpose. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12, and I'll show you what I'm talking about. You see, a bigger purpose will cause you to think better. Hebrews 2, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12, we'll start in verse 2. In the King James... It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now I want to go back to that part that says, the joy that was set before him. See, it was, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. Isn't that what it says? How did he endure the cross? Not because he was just, you know, so buff or whatever. Because he wasn't thinking about the cross. He was looking past 
the holes in his hands and the crown of thorns on his head and his back laid open and his you know, feet nailed to the boards. He was looking past that. For the joy set before him, it was purpose. He knew why he was here. He wasn't saying it's not fair. He knew he was here with purpose. And because he had purpose, and he understood that this purpose is going to bring joy into my life. It's, it's hard for a season, but joy's coming in the morning. He knew that it was going to be hard. He said, Father, if there be another way, man, this is hard. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was hard. I'm talking hard. But he held on. He kept looking. He kept looking at that joy set before him the day that he knew you would come home, that he knew your family would come to him, that we would all be together again, that if without that, we would all be lost. Say, oh, how I need him. <laughs> oh, how I need him. A bigger purpose grows <clears throat> bigger people. When you're focused on what matters, when you you got a heavenly mindset, you can endure anything that this world throws at you because you know there's coming a better day. There's hope. <clears throat> there's hope before you. Not a I hope so, but a hope, a firm foundation that what you believe will come to pass, that you will be in a place with no more tears, where all the debts will have been settled and a, a place of rest for your soul. And bigger people grow bigger humility. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus wash the disciples' feet because they deserved it? Because he, he was OCD and just couldn't stand the dirt on it. <clears throat> Why did he wash the disciples' feet? To show us. To do what? To, to show us how to be servants here. To, to show us how to humble ourselves. If Jesus, God Almighty in the flesh, got on his knees and put a towel around his waist and washed whatever was on their feet off of these disciples, these tax collectors and fishermen, then he's saying bigger people grow into bigger humility. And as adults, we have to display humility and a servant's heart. You know, parents don't say, I hate you too. They wipe the kid's little booger nose, give them a kiss on the cheek, and say, I love you, sweetie, but we don't talk like that. Because why? They're the adult in the room. If we're here to get bigger on the inside, then we're going to have to grow thicker skin on the outside. We can't just... Be so fragile. 
We can't let every, everybody's criticism, slander, whatever opposition throw us into a tizzy. Because you know what? God's allowing it. God allows people to criticize you. God allows, you know why the devil's still roaming the earth? Just to give you something to practice on. You see, as we humble ourselves and we keep our mind on the purpose, and we become bigger on the inside and we become the adult in the room, we don't let what the little kid says hurt our little weak feelings. We grow stronger. Because we got to grow stronger, we got to grow bigger, we got to do more. We're going to win more than just South Haven. We're going to win the world. And God is creating a people ready to win the world. And guess what? Have you noticed any time a Christian rises up in the media, they tear them apart? Are we going to say, well, I'm not going there? Are we afraid of the world? We can't be afraid of the world. We have to grow bigger on the inside. I heard that I'll have to grow thick skin as a pastor. So far, everybody's done a pretty good job of masking their true feelings, so I thank you for that. So I hadn't had to grow thicker skin. You guys have been really good to me since I've been here. If you want to grow higher in God, you've got to bow lower on the earth. That's the way... Things get done in the kingdom. Jesus went to the lowest parts of the earth, didn't he? Isn't that what it says? He said, because Jesus went to the lowest parts of the earth, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God. He's king of kings and lord of lords. But it was because he was willing to humble himself to the obedience, to, to the death on the cross. Whatever it took to, to endure the shame. Because he was willing to lower himself and wash his disciples' feet. Because he made himself of no reputation. He was God Almighty in the earth and he was born in a stable. He made himself of no reputation. That was all by design. He didn't want you to think that he is that we have to, to be something in somebody's eyes. You're already something in his eyes. You don't have to prove yourself to him. And you don't have to prove yourself to this world. I wrote down a few basic things that we can do. Proverbs 19.11. It says sensible people control their temper. And check this out. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Have you ever done that? Somebody just do something mean to you and, and you was reaching for your gun, but you decided not to. You just went on, you walked, walked on by and just smiled. We got a rough church. I tell you, I went, I reached back here and about, I heard like seven guns go click, click, click. Like, what's he fixing to do? <laughs> no. 
Sensible people control their temper, and they earn respect by overlooking wrongs. They just let it go. Somebody wrongs them, and they just let it go. What is that? Sensible people, God says. But most men would rather go to war than suffer a wrong. They'd rather go kill somebody's family in war, bomb cities, destroy nations. Because they, they'd rather demonize and categorize people instead of get to know them. I was watching a documentary about Muhammad Ali and he was fighting smoking Joe Frazier. And uh, Muhammad Ali just bad-mouthed the man. You know, he had that big mouth and he would, he would tear him up. He cut smoking Joe to ribbons with his mouth before the fight ever took place, you know. And smoking Joe was biting tears, you know. He never had nobody talk to him like this. He was a big, strong guy, you know, probably stronger than Muhammad Ali, but he had him in tears, you know. And uh, he... I think they went back and Muhammad Ali like won two out of three matches or something, but they really went after each other, you know, and Smoking Joe didn't think it was funny. Muhammad Ali thought it was all fun and games, you know, but it showed at the end when they were like 50 or 60 or something, they got back together and they talked about it and they looked and they became friends, but they were mortal enemies, you know, at first, but that just goes to show you anybody can get along if they would just sit together and talk together and not think that. You know, I'm not listening to them. I'm just going to give them my peace of mind. If we would converse with people, we're called to be peacekeepers. Okay, so you could destroy somebody in an argument. Man, I could, I'm going to tell them, I'm going to give them my peace of mind. Man, there's no way, I, I, I could destroy them in an argument. I know the word of God. I know what they're doing is wrong, and I could tear them up with the word. I could take that sword and just cut them to pieces. Should I do it? Just because I can? James 1.20 says, For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You know, it's not for us to be mad at the world because they don't do right. We didn't do right. Matthew 5.9 says, God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So if somebody is all in your business and, and trying to pull your train about everything and you ain't done anything to them and you're just doing right, hey, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Don't let them pull your chain. Don't let them pull you down to their level. 2 Timothy 2.23 says, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. There's one rule that we have when we go witnessing. Now, you know, that's, many people consider that confrontational. You're going to go out and you're going to tell somebody about the gospel. Wow, how dare you go tell somebody how much you love them and, and tell them that God cares about them and tell them that they don't have to go to hell. Man, that's just really being rude. But... <laughs> But we go out and we do, and some people just consider it rude. Some people have been taught this or that, and some people want to argue. And they want to sit, and they just want to, you know, I'm okay with a little banter back and forth, you know, about the issues. But the moment I see them getting heated, 
And the moment I see it being confrontational, you, you, you might as well shut it off right there because you're not going to win them. Once, that, once them walls come up, you've, you've missed your window of opportunity to win them to Christ. So I, I tell our people, we are not going to argue with anybody. When we get out there, we're going to love on them, and we're going to share with them, but the moment they start getting confrontational or something, we'll say, well, we'll speak again later. We love you, brother or sister, you know, and we will go on. So you don't have to worry about that. Now, if they get confrontational with you for, for no reason, then we'll pop them in the jaw. <laughs> but no, not really. But we, we don't do that. We're not out to start fights, and, and, and we're not out to get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments, and that's all they want to do is have foolish, ignorant arguments. We're just trying to share the truth. But when it starts fights, we just back off. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Now, how many is included in everyone? That means if you're talking to a, a Muslim who's berating you or something, and you don't agree with his religion, you don't agree with the way he's acting, you don't agree with anything about this guy. But it says, be kind to everyone. Sounds like Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. See, it's all about their heart anyway. You're not going to reach them with just a bunch of arguments in the mind. You know, you... you you can begin there, but if you can't reach the heart, you can't reach that person. And, and they're not going to open up their heart to someone who is confrontational and is uh, causing their walls to come up. We, uh, another one is we're not easily offended as Christians. We've already discussed that in some detail already, but in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, in the Amplified, it says it really nicely. It says, love is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not provoked. And here's what I wanted to get to. Nor overly sensitive and easily angered. Overly sensitive and easily angered. See, love doesn't do that. Love thinks the most of people. It gives them the benefit of the doubt. Well, well they didn't mean that. Well, they may be having a bad day. You know, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to take offense. See, it's yours to take. Somebody can't give you offense. They offer it to you, but you can say, I don't take it. I don't take it. See, you can do your part. You can always do your part. You can't do everybody else. That's the problem. We want to do everybody else's part. We want to force them to do what we want them to do. But we can't force anybody to do anything. You can't force your husband or your wife to do what you want them to do. You can't, you can't even force your children. And so people are trying to give us offense, but we say, no, no. And it says it does not take into account a wrong endured. In other words, it lets it go. You just got to let it go. Christians are not to bear grudges or hold unforgiveness towards others. I know this is simple stuff, but it's all part of being a bigger person and being the adult. 
Leviticus 19.18 says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love their neighbors thyself. I am the Lord. When he says, I am the Lord, that means do it because I said so. <laughs> Don't bear a grudge. Love your neighbor. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Reminds me of Joseph. His brothers threw him in a well. Meant to leave him there and kill him. And uh, I think it was Judah that spoke up for him and said, no, let's not kill him. So they sold him into slavery, washed their hands of him, sent him off, their own brother. But then many years later, after he's been in slavery, he's been in prison, and God finally uh, exalts him because he, he wouldn't take offense for one thing. He would do right. He would run from sin. Joseph was a good man. And because he did all the things that he was supposed to, God highly exalted him, made him second in command of all Egypt. And then when there was a famine in the land, Joseph's brothers had to go to Egypt to get food. You know the story. And instead of saying, aha, there they are, I got them now. He, obviously, he hadn't been carrying that. There must have been a time when he was in the prison or when he was in Potiphar's house or something, he dealt with the, the, the issues. See, many of us are still blaming our parents about this or that. Many of us can't be where God needs us to be because we're holding on to past grudges. My ex-wife did this to me. You know, my dad wasn't there. Well, those are legitimate things. But at some point, it's just pulling you down. It's doing you no good to hold on to those things. Joseph forgave his brothers. Not only did he forgive them, he gave them all the food they could eat. Then he moved the whole family into Goshen near Egypt and gave them a place to live and to, to prosper during the famine. He saved the whole Israelite clan. What if Joseph would have held on to the hurt? Might have been the destruction of God's people. You've probably heard this, we're here to build bridges, not put up walls. Now, I'm not talking about the bridge on the southern border. I mean, the wall on the southern border, <coughs> I believe that's a good idea. Because you need to know who's in your house. I mean, you use common sense. You don't just let anybody in your house and then figure it out later. You know, who are you? <laughs> you know, we have laws. It's like God has law, so I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about it emotionally, relationship-wise. We're to build bridges and not put up walls, not to bring, put walls between us and somebody else. Romans 12, 13 says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. <coughs> Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. I'm the only one that knows it all. No. But I enjoy the company of ordinary people. No. 
I'm digging myself deep. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, some people ain't going to want to live in peace with you. There are certain people that you try to show them, you try to give them your hand, and they want to chop it off. They think it's a sign of weakness if you show them God's love. And so you got to be, you got to use wisdom along with everything that we're saying. You know, <coughs> you know some people will say, well, you're teaching like this, that'll lead the uh, abused woman to go back into a relationship and just forgive the guy. Well, no, I'm not saying that. Use common sense. You know, God's not expecting us to, to not use our brain. Speaking of marriage, someone once preached that I heard that in marriage, the first to apologize is the bigger person. So I rushed to do that, whether I mean it or not. I'm the first one to apologize. I found this on the internet. The first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. And the first to forget is the happiest. That's a pretty good saying for the internet. <coughs> it's true, isn't it? Must have been a Christian wrote that. Now, Peter, who was kind of a hothead in the Gospels, cut somebody's ear off. <laughs> you know, he was probably right there with James and John. Yeah, nuke him, nuke him. <laughs> Call down fire, Jesus. I want to see it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but after he got saved, <laughs> after he got restored, and then what he knew, and now he knows what it's like. <laughs> after he got filled with the Holy Ghost, after he's had some time to grow and mature, he says in 1 Peter 3, 8, let's turn there. <clears throat> this sounds like a different man than I saw in the Gospels. He says, finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. We could stop and preach there for about an hour. Sympathize. See other people's point of view. Don't just see your point of view. Man, we are so headstrong. We can't see anybody's side. If we would stop and, and look at it from their perspective, we might realize why they're saying what they're saying. I can't tell you how many times that I thought I was completely right, but when I heard their side of the story, I was like, you're right, you're right. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. That's twice we've heard that. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, who will want to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if, if you're suffering for doing what's right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry 
or be afraid of their threats. It just sounds like we're just supposed to do right, no matter what anybody else is doing. Everybody in here can control your own self. No, it's nice that nobody else can control you, but it would be nice if you could control yourself. <clears throat> so King David, he's walking along, and this guy's throwing rocks, cussing him out, and telling lies on him. And David had said, God's allowing him to do it, just let him go. But in 2 Samuel 16, 11, he says, Let him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to do it. Perhaps the Lord will see that I'm being wronged and he will bless me because of these curses today. So David and his men continued down the road and Shimei kept pace with them on a nearby hillside, cursing and throwing stones and dirt at David. But did you see it said the Lord had told him to do it? As adults in the room, we can't let those throwing rocks at us and hurling insults slow us down one bit. We got to see them as stepping stones to being more thick-skinned, more able, bigger on the inside, and us becoming adults in the room. We learn to have a tolerance for the naysayers. We don't listen to what they say anymore. We follow after the Lord. Mother Teresa is credited with saying the following, and this is on our uh, kitchen wall, thanks to Angie. She's the smart one in the family. She said, people are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish or ulterior motives, but be kind anyway. If you're successful, you'll win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies, but succeed anyway. If you're honest and sincere, people may deceive you, but be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous, but be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten, but do good anyway. Give the best you have, and it will never be enough, but give your best anyway. In final analysis, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. And that, my friends, is your purpose. It's between you and God. You're not trying to please them. You're not worrying what they're saying. It's between you and God. You control your vessel. You control how you respond. You don't have to take offense. You don't have to return evil for evil. You don't have to do all those things that we talked about tonight. You can live above the fray. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.